Good morning, everyone. If you please stand with us, let's worship together. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. God is greater, I got a stronger, God you are higher than any other, and I got a healer, awesome in power, I got, I got, into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, there's none like you, yes I got a greater and I got a stronger, God you are higher than any other, and I got a healer, he's awesome in power, I got, I got. Yes, I got is greater and I got is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. I got is healer, it's awesome in power. I got, I got. And if I got is for us, could ever stop us and if our God is with us then what can stand against and if our God is for us then who could ever stop us and if our God is with us then what can stand again then what can stand
destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless One. He never sinned, but suffered as if He
time. Savior, worthy of honor and glory, you're worthy of all of our praise. You overcame. And Jesus, awesome in power forever, awesome and great is your Romans 15, verse 12, and again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Jesus has overcome, and so this morning we have hope. Amen? Amen. Well, good morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. You can tell by the decorations, we now transition into the Christmas season. And so we're going to be lighting the Advent candle. We're going to be singing some Christmas songs this morning. And uh, so thank you for being with us. Would you take a moment and welcome those around you? All right, you may return to your seats. You may be seated. Well, at this time, as we extend a welcome to you, we also have a children's Bible story time, a children's sermon, so our children can make their way up and sit on the steps and kind of try to sit around Pastor Gary. Try not to be way off to the side. You can actually sit in the floor, too. And if we have any little helpers that Gary asked for you to come help, our little elves helpers can come as well. Whoever you are, I don't know who you are, but um, all right, well, well, they're coming and getting settled. Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here uh, with us. If this is your first time, we're delighted. We're thrilled to have you. We would, we would like for you to let us know this is your first time. You can do that a couple ways. One, you can scan the QR code in the bulletin. 
fill out a couple simple basic questions about yourself, or there's a connection card out in the foyer that you can pick up. We have some announcements that we'll go over at the end of the service, but we are thankful that you are here today. And at this time, if you'll turn our attention to Pastor Gary, otherwise known as PG, for our children's sermon. Hello. Our pastor asked me to tell you that. I come from a part of the world where that is not the only, English is not the only language. Does anybody know what that means? What I said? Not even my kids know. How about this? Nukete Ntiko. All right. All right. A name? No. Well, if you look on the back screen, there's this, which is uh, the biggest story Bible where we're going through. And we got into this part in Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11. But for all of you listening, I've got my little helpers here just in case you get a little bit itchy and scratchy and you want to move. So hopefully you can listen. But if you want to take a look, Alex, you can, you can get to the next screen. So the Bible is a big book that tells the biggest story in the whole world. You, do you like stories? Yeah. But this doesn't mean that everything in the Bible is a story. The Bible also has songs, has sermons, has laws, has lists. Most people skip the lists because they don't like saying the names. None of your parents have ever done that. They seem kind of boring and they usually have names that adults cannot pronounce. So they skip them. But the lists are really important. And these lists were known in the Bible as the table of nations. It speaks of how God can take care of everything and keep his promises. So these lists are not unimportant. When you get to them, I want you to read them because they speak of families. One of the first lists in the Bible is Noah. What do you remember about Noah? What do you remember about him? What did he build? An ark, yeah. But he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and all the kids that came from them. And there were 70 different clans and tribes that came from Noah, 70, all right? Do any of you have a family tree that big? Maybe, you should ask your parents. But as I said, these are called the table of nations. Not like a table you eat dinner at. All right. So God says, look at all these people in all these places, and they all belong to me. And don't ever forget that the biggest story is about how big God is and who he wants, and he wants everyone everywhere to know him, no matter how big or small. So now we get to the next part. But the way the Bible transitions is goes from a table to a tower, a tower. Any of you ever build a tower out of Legos or blocks and you have a, a, a younger sibling who pushes it over? Yeah. All right. Well, unfortunately, people 
often want to be known more than they want to know God, which brings us to this table to tower story. So these nations on the earth came up with what they thought was a grand idea. They said, let's build a tower, a huge tower that would reach heaven. Well, that's what they said. Then everyone will see, this is why we should build a tower, then everyone will see how amazing we are. Nobody, don't do that. All right. Don't misunderstand. God doesn't have a problem with big buildings. God doesn't have a problem with Northside having this beautiful building. But he does have a problem with people who think that they are bigger than him. The nations wanted to be as impressive as God, but God wasn't impressed. In fact, their big building must not have been all that big because God had to come down from heaven just to see it. So the people who wanted to make a name for themselves ended up with a name all right, but it wasn't the name they wanted. God called the place, does anybody know the name? Tower of Babel. There you go, Tower of Babel. Because from there he scattered the people. Now you want to know why I said what I said at the beginning and you didn't know? God scrambled their languages. So each place had their own designated language. And the nations had to give up their plans for a tower reaching into heaven. And yet the God of heaven hadn't given up on his plan for reaching the nations. That's the story. All right. Let me pray. Everybody close your eyes. Let me pray. Oh God, sometimes we like to think we are bigger than you. Lord, forgive us. Thank you for caring about people from every nation on earth. Well, bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Go back to your mommies and daddies. What did I say? I'll tell you later. All right, so this morning, we begin our celebration of Advent. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And by lighting these candles... We rejoice in the great gift that is ours in Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. The evergreens that are around the Advent remind us that He is life and that He brings life to us. All these candles are arranged in a circle because life in Christ has no end. Each Sunday, we will light an additional candle. Then during our Christmas morning service on December 25th, we will light all the candles, including the center one, which is the Christ candle to celebrate that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. On this first Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of hope. So Miss Lily Jordan is going to come, and she's going to light our first candle, one of the purple candles, and this is the candle of hope. Hope is our assurance that God will finish all he has started. Hope is our confidence that he will do all he has promised. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. 
Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then in Romans 15, verses 12 through 13, we read, And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So Jesus Christ has come, and in him we have hope. Let me conclude with a prayer. We'll do this each week. We'll take a section from what is called a prayer from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. And so let's pray one of these prayers this morning. So if you'll bow your head and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, streams upon streams of love overflow my path. Thou hast made me out of nothing, hast recalled me from a far country, hast translated me from ignorance to knowledge, from darkness to light, from death to life, from misery to peace, from folly to wisdom, from error to truth, from sin to victory. I draw near to thee, knowing thou wilt draw near to me. I ask of thee, believing thou hast already given. I entrust myself to thee, for thou hast redeemed me. I bless and adore thee, the eternal God, for the comfort of these thoughts, the joy of these hopes. God, in Christ we have hope. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's begin by singing some Christmas song.
what a great way to begin this Christmas season. Great job, adult choir, Anna Marie, and then our kids' choir as well. Awesome. All right, so it's the last Sunday of the month, so that means we do have Children's Church for our youngest group, our pre-K threes and fours, but our kindergarten through second graders, you'll stay in here with us this morning as we want you all to learn what it looks like to sit under the preaching of God's Word. If everybody that's staying in here will take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin this morning what's going to take us the next several weeks as we look at the different pieces to the armor of God that we see here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 14 through... um, We'll probably go through verse 20, but we're only going to look at verse 14 this morning. But this is where Paul begins to talk about putting on the armor of God. So would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 14. This is the Word of the Lord. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And let's end right there. You may be seated. President Franklin Roosevelt famously said these words. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. I just recently recently watched a documentary on this. On that morning, 2,403 Americans were killed, over 1,100 injured. Now, up to this point, the Americans had avoided the war. But once Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, we were now at war. And in watching that documentary, I learned something that was very fascinating. It was actually something that was shared by the British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill. The evening of the attack... Of course, it was later over there than it was here. But that evening when he went to bed, he recalled this is what his thoughts were that night, the night that Pearl Harbor was attacked. Here's what he said. Being saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and thankful. I thought, man, that is something very interesting to say when... The Americans had been bombed and many people died. So why why did Churchill sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful? Here's why. Because to Churchill, the bombing of Pearl Harbor meant one thing. It meant victory. Because the United States of America would finally enter the war. And he believed once we entered the war, victory was assured. He was that confident in the Americans, and in our military might. And so what happens before, right, he's confident we're going to win. There were many battles along the way, and as history 
tells the story, right? We won the war. You and I this morning are in a spiritual war. Whether you want to be or not. But the good news, just as Churchill was convinced victory was theirs once America entered into the war, you already have victory, not because of America, but because of Jesus Christ. Right? Victory is secured. Now you need to understand though, the war has been won, but along the way there will be many battles to fight. And so what the Apostle Paul says to us is take up the whole armor of God. And he gives us this imagery, right, this, this spiritual armor, if you will. And he's giving this image, imagery based upon battle armor, which is probably drawn from two things. One, it would have been drawn from the armor that the Roman soldier would have worn. Right, Paul, uh, being a Roman, living in those times, right, was very familiar with the armor of the Romans. He also would have been chained to, for a period of time, right, a, a Roman soldier. So he was familiar with that. But you and I need to understand this imagery is also drawn from something else that Jews would have been very familiar with. And that is from the prophecy of Isaiah. So I want you to see this. So if you have your Bibles, please go to Isaiah chapter 11. We'll start there. Isaiah chapter 11. And so when you're looking through, when you're reading the Old Testament, right, from Genesis to Malachi, we need to understand that the Old Testament is predicting the coming Messiah, the anointed one. This is who he will be, right? So we see the, the Messiah is going to be a suffering servant. But we also see in certain places that the coming Messiah is going to be a warrior, He's going to be a warrior. So the Messiah is predicted in the Old Testament. When you come to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that the Messiah is revealed, and his name is Jesus. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, 4 and 5, we read this about the Messiah that we know to be Jesus. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Verse 5, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So the Messiah is depicted as a warrior, and God's anointed, this warrior, would be categorized by righteousness and truth. We fast forward to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 17. And we read there in Isaiah 59, verse 17, again speaking of the Messiah. It says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And so Paul, with that imagery in mind, the coming Messiah, the warrior, and this is how he will be clothed. He then applies that, the, the armor that Christ wears, righteousness and truth and the helmet of salvation, and he applies that to us. So there are six pieces total that Paul talks about. And we'll look at these over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at the first two this morning. He talks about the belt, the breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword. 
Now, as we go through this, we're just going to do a brief overview. If you want to dive into this in more depth, I can point you to a couple places. You can go look up Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached over 20 sermons just on these verses. You can go to a man by the name of William, I don't know if I'm, I may butcher his last name, Grinnell. He was a Puritan. I'm going to quote him in just a minute. He wrote a treaty that's really, really, really long. Like lots of chapters, lots of pages just on these verses. So you, if you want to go dive deeper into this stuff, you can. But listen to what William writes. He says, In heaven we shall appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. Amen? But here... These individual pieces of armor are to be worn night and day. We must walk, we must work, and we must sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And the first piece, again, this isn't physical things we're putting on. This is a spiritual battle. These are spiritual weapons. But he says the first thing that we need to put on is the belt of truth. The ESV says, having fastened on the belt of truth. I know some of you in here are King James Version, diehard, you just love the King James. This is what it says, having your loins girt about with truth. I heard uh, Alistair Begg say when I was listening to his sermon, he said, that right there is reason that we need modern translations. Having your loins girt about with truth. I don't know how many, and he says, I don't know how many of you, when your kids are going out, say, hey, gird up your loins with truth. I don't know if that's the language you use, but um, that's how the KJV translates this. It's, a, it's an accurate translation. It basically means the same thing. So the first piece of armor that we put on is the belt. So when you think of, Roman, of a Roman soldier's dress, right, um, they oftentimes, uh, even, the, even the Jews, would often wear long tunics. Right? It, was, it was long. It was a long flowing cloth, a robe, if you would. And, and so you got to be careful if you're wearing something long. Some of you ladies know that. You have worn long dresses. Um, and you have to be very careful if you're in a long dress that you don't step on that dress and fall down. So if you have a, a lengthy piece of clothing on and you're having to run out into war, right, that could impede your ability to run and to fight and so what they would often do using this belt that would also hold their sword they would take that cloak they would tie it up and they would tuck it inside their belt so that they could move more freely which means this belt was not for decoration i'm wearing a belt i'm wearing a belt to hold my pants up some of you man you got those big old buckles you don't need a big old buckle to hold your pants up you got a big old buckle for decorative purposes like you just, you just, you like those things. They, they, they decorate, man. They stick out. That's not why they wore a belt. One person said the belt for the Roman was foundational. It was critical. It was of necessity. Now, when you think about this language, right, girt up, right, your, your loins, like being ready, your belt being fastened. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, the Jews are preparing, God's preparing to take them out of Egypt. And he gives them instructions about the Passover, how they're to eat the Passover, what this to, is to look like. And then he says this in Exodus 12, verse 11, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Because Moses' instruction to them is that, listen, when it's time to go, when God says we got to go because Pharaoh says get out, we've got to leave in haste. The idea is one of you need to be prepared, 
you need to be ready right and a lot of what we do we try to prepare for these things we we try to be ready right we have auto insurance we hope we don't ever need it but we want to be prepared in case of an accident right and so they were to be prepared this has the imagery the idea of being ready and being prepared and so you've got this belt but look what he says it is a belt of truth now when you read commentaries people uh, debate and discuss how we understand truth here i think it can mean both of these things so when he talks about putting on the belt of truth i think number one it can mean if you're taking notes i don't have anything on the screen this morning but if you're taking notes it means the truth of doctrine that is the content of truth that is the truth that god has revealed to us in his word he's already spoken of this in ephesians if you want to turn back to ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, right, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you heard the word of truth. You heard the content, the gospel of salvation, the truth that God has revealed to us. You have in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So I think the first thing it could be referring to here is you and I have to be prepared, we have to be ready, we got to buckle up the truth that is the content of the truth that God has revealed to us. What does God say to us? What is this word? We need to have that at our disposal. We need to be ready with that. But I think it also can refer to here the truth of heart. So the truth of doctrine, the content, that which God has revealed, but also the truth of heart. That is the truth lived out. That is, our lives should be characterized by truthfulness. He has spoken to this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, when he says these words, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So, we're, we're, we're strapping on, we're buckling up the truth that God has revealed to us, but also we want to live lives of honesty and truthfulness. So just a point of application. We are to be strengthened by God's truth, and then we are to live a life marked by truthfulness. Strengthened by his truth, and then we live a life marked by truthfulness. So Satan is coming after us, right? Fiery darts he's thrown at us. He's a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. We're in a spiritual battle. And so Paul says, put on that belt of truth, right? If we know the truth, then Satan has a much harder time trying to deceive us with falsehood. If you know the truth. If you are dedicated to living a life of truthfulness then satan has a much harder time trying to deceive us so think about satan oftentimes in the scriptures right satan is referred to as darkness right he, he moves into darkness sin is darkness darkness right when we think of darkness we think of ignorance satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers when we think about darkness we think about satan sowing lies and dishonesty but what Colossians tells us is that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son. Into the kingdom of his son, Jesus is the light of the world. So we no longer live in darkness, we now live in the light, which is Jesus Christ. And in the light, 
as we walk in the light, Paul tells us in Ephesians, we are to live in truth and honesty. So here's what Satan does. He comes along. And he begins to work in such a way in your life and in your circumstances that he tries to get you to question God's goodness. When you begin to question God's goodness, then you begin to doubt him. Is that not what Satan did to Adam? Did God really say? Is God really concerned about what's best and right and good for you? Or is he just withholding things from you because he's a killjoy? He's just trying to keep the best things from you. So if you begin to question God's goodness, then you begin to doubt him. And as you begin to doubt him, then you begin to question God's trustworthiness. And if you no longer can believe that God is trustworthy, that in everything God does, it's good and right for you, then you begin to blame him. Because when things begin to go wrong in your life, it's all on God. God, why did you take my mom? God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And you become angry and you become bitter towards God because you have started to question his goodness and his trustworthiness. And then it leads to us questioning God's forgiveness. And when you begin to question God's forgiveness, what happens is you ultimately reject him. You begin to question, first of all, your need for it. Like, do I really need forgiveness? I'm a pretty good guy. And I'm nothing like my brother or my sister. I'm nothing like my neighbor. I'm nothing like that person that sits behind me at church. Don't look around to see who some of y'all are turned around to see who's behind you at church. Um, I'm nothing like them, right? We begin to elevate ourselves, and then we begin to think, I don't need forgiveness. Or Satan leads us to a place where we begin to question his willingness to grant it. I mean, really? Would a Christian act that way? But do you really think God's gonna, just going to keep forgiving you? I mean, you, you say, God, forgive me, and you know in your mind you're going to go right back and do that same thing again. Like We begin to question God's willingness to grant forgiveness. So he begins to sow all of these lies into our minds. And listen, there are a lot more lies that we can begin to look at that's going on in our culture that people are beginning to buy into. How do you combat lies? With truth. You want to combat a lie? You have to know the truth. Listen to what John MacArthur writes. He says, The believer who is confused about God's word cannot be effective in God's work. If you are confused about God's word, questioning God's word, doubting God's word, then you cannot be effective in God's work. And so Satan begins to sow all of these lies within us and around us. And we've got to sort it all out. The truest thing about you, this applies to everyone in here, but teenagers, students, hear me closely. The truest thing about you is not what you feel. Well, I feel this. Well, I feel that this is right. This is what I want to do. This is how I feel. These are my emotions. Listen, you're going to quickly learn your emotions will lie to you. You cannot trust them. Now, sometimes you say, I got a gut feeling, and you, you just go with that gut feeling as long as that's the right thing to do. But don't let your feelings deceive you. The truest thing about you, hear me, is not what others think or say about you. Man, my dad said I'm worthless. Man, my mom says I'm a nobody. Those friends at school, man, they laugh at me and they mock me, and so I must be this thing. Listen, the truest thing about you is not what others say or think about you. Hear me. The truest thing about you is not the lies that Satan levels against you. You're unlovable. God can never forgive you. 
You can never go to heaven. Jesus would never allow you into his presence. Look how you live. That's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you is what God says is true. And the only way to know what God says is true is to fasten on that belt of truth. To hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. It is to know God's word and then to begin to live it out by living a life of truth and integrity. So that's the first thing, the belt of truth. Again, this is an overview. You can dive into it deeper. But then here's the second piece of armor he tells us to put on. Right, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, knowing the truth, living out the truth, and then having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate right, is something that the Roman soldiers would wear as they go out into war. Right, And the breastplate would protect the vital organs. It would protect them against blows, right? Some hand-to-hand combat, they're coming up and hitting you. You would protect the vital organs. It would protect you from arrows, right? They didn't have, like, the guns that we have in war today. So it would protect you from the arrows. You'd have this armor, this this breastplate. Now, we we have to think about Hebrew thought here. In Hebrew thought, the heart is not the way that we understand the heart when we would say, hey, I love you with all my heart. Like we're talking about our emotions and our feelings when we say that. To them, the heart represented the mind and the will. So your thoughts and then your desires and the will. That's what the heart represented. And for them, the bowels, we've talked about this before, the bowels represented the emotions. So I remember the first time I heard this years ago when somebody said, you know, what they would have said is I love you with all my bowels. Like that's just not near as... That's romantic. I would not use that line on your spouse today. And so if you think about the vital organs, again, we're talking spiritually here. It was there to actually protect their physical vital organs. But for us spiritually, we're talking about the heart, the mind, the will. We're talking about our emotions. And that's to be protected. How is that protected? By putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, again, of righteousness here can be interpreted one of two ways. I think both of them are in play here. I may lean more towards the second one. Um, But the first one is a positional righteousness. We use the word imputed righteousness. That is, through Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God by our faith in Jesus is given to you so that you are made right with God through Jesus Christ. It's why Paul can write in Romans 8, 1, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you've been made right with God. You've been forgiven through Jesus. But then in Romans 3, 23, we read, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that is made right with God, declared right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we're putting on, right, the breastplate of righteousness. We are trusting that the word of God is true and that in Christ, because I've repented and I believed, I'm now made right with him. His righteousness is given to me. That's how God sees me. He sees me as righteous in Christ. But then there is also a practical righteousness. That is, we are to live righteous, holy lives. 
Paul speaks of this in Ephesians multiple times. In Ephesians chapter 4, 19 and 20, says they have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Chapter 4, verse 24, we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And chapter 5, verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So we are to put on this breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness. It is righteousness that guards our heart, our mind, our will, and our emotions. So here's the point of application. You are declared righteous. That is not something you earn. It is a gift. You are declared right with God. Therefore, you should seek to live a righteous, holy life. So one way that Satan seeks to tempt us is through lies. But the other way Satan seeks to tempt us is with ungodliness. It's with ungodliness. Again, let's think about the darkness. The darkness, in the darkness there is immorality, there is sensuality, there is all this evil that Paul speaks of. But we don't live in the darkness any longer. We now live in the kingdom of Jesus. And in the kingdom of Jesus, there is holiness, there is godliness through the Spirit of God in us who changes us. So listen, if you begin to question God's righteousness that's given to you, it will lead to a place of despair and hopelessness. Because the scripture says, in Christ you are justified, you are made right. But Satan doesn't want you living in that confidence. He wants you living in shame and doubt and fear. And if you begin to doubt the righteousness of Christ given to you, it is going to lead to a place of despair of constantly questioning whether God really can save you. Questioning whether if you were to take your final breath right now, you would actually enter into the presence of God. And you do that long enough, it will lead to a place of hopelessness. But the candle we lit this morning is a reminder that Christ came to give you hope. And that hope isn't in you, it's in Christ. And if you know the truth and you've girded up yourself in the truth, you know the word of God and you know the word of God says in Christ you've been justified, made right with God. And you live in that freedom. So you don't have to question and toss and turn, am I saved, am I not saved? Have you given your life to Jesus? If the answer is yes, then you're saved. And over time, you're going to begin to see the evidence of that, the fruit of that in your life. So Satan wants us to question God's righteousness. But then Satan, I mean, he's doing a really good job of this in our culture. He wants you to question God's righteous standards for you. God's righteous standards for you. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to gender, when it comes to everything in life, man, Satan wants us to begin to question God's righteous standards. And if you begin to question God's righteous standards, let me tell you where you're headed. To disobedience and then joylessness. Disobedience, because you're going to disobey the word of God. And at the beginning, you may seem like, well, I finally got joy. 
I've got peace. Um, a couple weeks ago, one of the former Kentucky basketball players, uh, Humphreys, uh, Isaac Humphreys, I believe is his name, used to play basketball in Kentucky, he's now overseas, came out uh, that he was gay and that he had been suicidal. I mean, listen, but I don't want anybody to be suicidal. What, whatever your gender is, whatever your sexuality is, I don't, I don't want anybody to get to the place where they feel so helpless and hopeless that they're suicidal. But in his coming out, what he believes is that he will no longer feel hopeless and helpless. And I do believe for a time, it will probably help him. Because you can hide something for so long and eventually it eats you. I do believe for a period of time, right, he's going to begin to feel more joy, more hope as he gets this off his chest. But here's what we know. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Even if it's immorality with somebody of the opposite sex. You think this will give me joy, but if it goes against the word of God, it's eventually going to lead to joylessness and just as hopeless as you were before. Because that's not where we find our joy. Our joy is in what God says to us. And so the question for us, as we think about this breastplate of righteousness, is are we going to conform to God's standard of holiness? It's exactly what Satan said. Did God really say? If you begin to ask that question, did God really say, and you begin to doubt God, you're no longer going to guard your heart, guard your will, and then guard your emotions. They are susceptible to the attacks of Satan. You must know the truth of God's word and then be committed to live that out every day, every second of every day. And listen, the Bible is filled with men and women who failed miserably. History is filled with men and women, pastors who failed miserably. This room may be filled with people who look back upon their past and you were a believer and you failed miserably. And I think if we go back and look at those decisions, we would probably say, hey, listen, I wasn't fastening on that belt of truth. God's word wasn't central in my life. I wasn't putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I wasn't committed to doing the right thing, the godly thing, the honorable thing. I was focused on myself. I was focused on what I wanted. This is what I desired. This is what I felt that I needed. And if for one moment we take off the belt of truth or we take off the breastplate of righteousness, we are susceptible to a mighty fall. Yesterday afternoon I was reading through some of the Psalms and I came across Psalm 101. And I wrote it down on a little piece of paper. Psalm 101, 2 and 3. Listen to the intentionality of David. He says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Like there is intentionality here. David had been there. He had failed miserably. So now he is resolved to say, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. And I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, anything that is wicked, anything that is untrue. I will not set it before my eyes. A man, like a gut punch. Or Satan, I mean, the Holy Spirit sometimes just gets you. And I begin to write that down and just begin to try to memorize it and just think through it. 
And I wonder this morning as we conclude, are you being that intentional? Saying, Pastor, this morning, man, I've got the belt of truth fastened. I've got the breastplate of righteousness on. I'm committed to walk in integrity and to walk in righteousness. And I'm committed not to set anything untrue or ungodly before my eyes. So where are you this morning? Are you ready to fasten up, to strap it on, to say I'm ready for the spiritual war that's going to come at me this week because I've got the truth and I'm committed to walking in integrity and Jesus will give me the power that I need. I pray that you are. And if you have fallen short, don't don't believe the lies of Satan. You are not too far gone for a Savior. There is not enough evil that you can do that is too far and long for God to reach his arms down and pull and save you out of it. And so if there's sin currently in you, if there's something that you have done in the past and never asked the, ask the, the gracious God to forgive you for it, do that this morning. But let's be committed as the people of God not to walk in darkness, but to walk in the light. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Father God, we know that we are at spiritual war. This morning there are brothers and sisters in Christ who feel it intently. Satan is bombarding them with lies, with dishonest or half-truths. Or Satan is tempting them this morning with ungodliness, distorting their desires and their emotions and leading them down a path of disobedience and joylessness. But there is victory. Right now, anybody in this room, anybody watching online that feels enslaved and captured in the chains of Satan's deceptive lies and trickery, right now there can be deliverance if they would simply look to the truth. And the truth of the gospel is Jesus, you came to seek and save the lost. That we are all sinners, that we all fall short, but that we can be justified by a gift through Jesus Christ. Let that truth wash over us this morning. Let us be men and women who are committed to living lives of honesty, of truthfulness, of integrity. May there be no deceit found within us. And may we be men and women who are committed to godliness and righteousness, no matter the cost, because we want to be found faithful. We want to say with the Apostle Paul, I fought the fight. But we cannot do that apart from you. Remind us week in and week out that Christ, you cannot fail. This is your armor. You wore it first according to Isaiah. And so now we put it on. And in you we cannot fail. But help us, Lord, because we are in desperate need of your help. Forgive us, convict us, change us, we pray for your glory and your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship together. You respond as the Spirit of God leads you. You can come and kneel and pray. You can pray right where you are. There is forgiveness for you if you would look to Jesus this morning. Let's worship together. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? There Shame was deeper than
before I go over the announcements, if you came in this morning feeling hopeless, just believing in your deepest part of you that there is no hope, and don't leave feeling that way. Come see me, see Pastor Gary, find somebody that maybe you know or a face you may recognize and just go and say, hey, I'm feeling hopeless. Will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? And it would be our joy, 
our honor to be, to be able to do that. We want you to know that you're not alone. Um, please do me a favor. I don't want to have to go over all these announcements because there's a lot. It's a busy time of the year. Every single one of you, dinner time this week, take out the bulletin and go over it with your family, whatever you need to do. Um, we got all kinds of stuff. But I do want to emphasize because it's coming up quickly. Uh, the women's ministry is having their Christmas party um, on December 2nd at 6.30 p.m., uh, we still need a few things, so if you will please see Miss Robin, ladies, to say, hey, what can I bring? What do you need? I know that they would greatly appreciate that. I want to also emphasize to you two more things. One is the Bridging the Gap Christmas in Coweta program. There were still some tags of, as of this morning when I came in. I don't know if there's still some out there, but all that information is right there in the bulletin. This is a great way for us to serve and love on some families. You can pick up a tag. If there's only like a big item that's left, you can grab another family and say, hey, can we split this? Can we go in together? Um, that's a possibility. And then I also want to emphasize December 10th at 6 p.m., our students are doing a Christmas play called While You Were Sleeping. Look, that's on a Saturday evening. Put that on your calendar. They've been working really hard. Got to see a little bit of that yesterday uh, morning as they were practicing. They're going to practice again this evening. So come and support them, and you'll be blessed as you hear a message um, for this Christmas season. All right, if you will stand, Mr. Larry Chappelle is going to close us with a word of prayer. I'm going to give him mic number three, Philip. back tonight we got our normal evening activities they start tonight all that's there in the bulletin for you thank you brother let us pray heavenly father to you we you deserve the highest praise dear lord and at this time of year make us ever thankful that you have provided the salvation for our eternal souls but dear lord even though we know the war has been won we still have the daily fight against Satan and evil. And Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us the armor and the weapons to be successful in that fight. Just be with us as we go forth this day. And dear Lord, keep us forever in your arms. We pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>